Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. Here we are for episode 28 of the Lifestyle Chase. My guest today is the one and only Dean Somerset. How are you doing today? It's another day in paradise. It's the coldest day of the year, so I don't know if we can really uh, expect it to go anywhere but up from here, right? Exactly. <laughs> so take me through your morning. How'd you start your day? What's your routine? I uh, woke up and uh, took the dogs into doggy daycare because it's stupid cold outside, so we can't really take them for very much of a walk, so we just dropped them off there. Came home, worked for the last hour on emails, sitting here with a podcast with you, and then I'm going to go in and train clients from noon till five. Nice. Yep. And how about like the busiest day that you had in like 2018? The busiest? Like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, I guess the most, the most event filled, like the most interesting, most memorable. Um, a couple of days when I was traveling over to Europe, I mean, teaching a workshop in Slovenia was pretty cool. So a day where you're just on the go from like, wake up, go through teach an all day workshop, do event in the evening, then go to bed and wake up and do it all over again the next day. Those are pretty busy days. So. It's always fun to be able to do something like that. And in a country that English is not the first language and you have people from eight or nine other countries attending where English is like second, third or fourth on the list as far as languages that they speak. It's a pretty unique adventure. Totally. Just like you gain so much experience from presenting to different different groups and stuff. Yeah. What's your most favorite place you've done a presentation at? Slovenia was pretty cool. I mean, it's an area that I don't think gets nearly enough credit. Uh, Prague was really amazing. This year coming up, we're going to go to Singapore. So I'm really excited about doing that one. Um, but also just places where I know the people who are in attendance and who still value what I have to say. Yeah. So speaking in Edmonton is always a thrill because I can see the people that I see on a regular basis and say, here, I'm going to show you something I've been working on or something I've been thinking about. And they're into that still rather than just being somebody on the other side of the world who's had no approach or attachment to me. Totally. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I have to uh, do a shout out to Dean Guido. He said to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I like to talk about on my podcast is I like to be a little different than the average one. And how many podcasts would you say you've been a guest on? Dozens. I lost track. I mean, I think in uh, 2019 so far, I've been on four. So, yeah. Yeah. It's... And I think you've been on the Fitness Devil podcast at least four times. I think three. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like the first guest, the 50th guest, and I, I think I was on there one more time too. I think I was listening to episode 12 or something, something in the early 10s or 20s yeah. on the way here. And it's just, you you talk so much about fitness and stuff. And I'm going to dive into a bit more of like the lifestyle and like the background, the the starting up story of like how, how you got into what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. So as a high school kid... What kind of a what kind of a kid were you? Were you like a jock? Were you like an academic? I was neither. I mean, I played on sports teams, but I was like the kid at the very end of the bench. So like, if there was a bench warmer, I was making the bench. I was that far down the bench. So yeah, I was never really a gifted athlete by any stretch. I always wanted to be, and I always tried to play as hard as I could, but I was never there. For academics, I, I barely got by in some courses. So the ones where I was able to do pretty well in were things like carpentry, English, and a little bit in biology. So yeah. it was a little bit of a, a tough go, but at the same time, I worked hard, as hard as I could, and I just did the best I could. Overall, I was just kind of like a quiet, weird, nerdy kid that didn't really hang out with very many people and was just kind of doing my own thing. Totally. That's, it's funny because that's a lot of my guests, and it's just like 
sort of humble beginnings turn into humble adulthood. And yeah. that's generally what I look for in the lifestyle chase. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the subjects that you liked the most? Um, the, the stuff where I could actually do things. So like construction, mechanics, uh, physics was fun because I was able to actually see how things worked. So taking courses like that and biology were really good. English, I was just able to put sentences together and figure out how to actually make it make sense. And I got good grades in that and I like storytelling. So th- those were always kind of the key classes that I seemed to like. Math, not so much. Yeah. Chemistry, I still don't know how to do chemistry. And it sucks because I took that MCAT exam, the medical school examination a couple of years ago. Yeah. And apparently you need to know chemistry to be a doctor. Who knew? But yeah, I bombed that section really hard, but I got in the top 5% for the writing sample. So I was like, okay, well, maybe chemi- or maybe medical school is out, but maybe I should start writing something. Totally. That's kind of how I started my blog. I was like, well, the world's telling me I should be a writer. That's awesome. Uh, what, what kind of like schooling did you think you're going to do in, say, grade 11, grade 12? What was your plan? Initially, I actually wanted to go into medical school and be an orthopedic surgeon. But then I was thinking, well, maybe that won't work. Maybe I'll go in for a physiotherapy. And I started shadowing physiotherapists in clinic, seeing what they did. And I thought, this is great. This is cool. But I really like being in the gym. So I tried to go in a route where I could actually spend more of my time in a gym, which is why I went through kinesiology. Yeah. I figured if I really liked that, I could stick with it. But if I didn't and I wanted to go through physio, I could take a graduate level course to get into physiotherapy that way while having the basis in kinesiology, which is a pretty common pathway for a lot of physios. But then I realized, you know, no, I just want to help people squat, deadlift and run really fast. Yeah. That's kind of the, the meat and potatoes of what my decision making was. That's awesome. How did your career kind of start off? Like, what, what was your first year out of school like? That was way back in 2004. So that was before social media. That was before most phones today had any kind of a thought process. It was the old flip phone razor. Um, so I started working in a commercial gym. And I was fortunate when I started up because four of the very senior trainers had all quit around the same time. And I was the only new trainer coming in. So at the same time, I had a whole bunch of existing clients looking for trainers. And I also had every new client coming into the gym who was looking for a trainer. I was the only one available. So I was uh, a problem of too much too, uh, abundance to be able to meet the needs. So at that point, I was able to get rolling really quickly. But at a certain point in time, business starts to slow down and die off. More trainers get hired, more people go that way. So within about a year, I got to a point where my business was almost dead as far as being a personal trainer. So I was thinking, okay, well, what do I do now? Do I start working in the oil fields? Do I start working in some different field? So I went to chapters on White Avenue and picked up, instead of going into the exercise section or the physiology section, I went into the business section. And I started reading more about business development, sales, uh, selling concepts, and started using that thought process to be able to say, okay, well, if my business is the issue, I gotta get better at business. So I started digging deeper and deeper into that concept and started being a little bit more professional about how I was approaching sales and business mentorship or business metrics and making it something that was a little bit more tangible for a profession to actually grow up. And from there, it actually exploded up pretty well. So I'm happy I was able to make that decision. That's awesome. If you could like summarize it into like three major lessons that you learned from that experience, what would those three lessons be? Learn more about business because there's so many trainers out there who think that sales is a dirty word. Um, you have to have an understanding of what sales actually involves. It's not about being a used car salesman or about being shady. It's about understanding how a sales process works in an ethical manner. 
From that, learn what your customers are actually looking for. Learn what your clients are actually looking for. If you can say to a client, how am I going to help you best? And they can tell you, that's what you give them. It's not really a difficult concept, but it's not me saying, well, based on what I see from you, I'm short on money this month, so you should buy a $3,000 package so that way I can afford to you know, pay my mortgage this month. That's never really going to be a good way of going about things. Also, just making sure that you can track things effectively. If you don't know whether you trained 120 sessions this month, 250 sessions, or eight sessions, and you don't know how much training value that client has left on an existing package, you're going to need to know that kind of stuff to be able to make a reasonable go at it in a business sense where you're providing the value your clients are paying for, but also making sure you're charging appropriately for the value that you can give. Totally. And like, I'm lucky because I get to dive into it with all these apps and programs and software and stuff. How did you do it back in the day? What was your, what was your structure? Pen and paper. Nice. Yep. You have a graph set up on paper that says the number of sessions a a person has purchased and you get them to sign on each one of the lines for each of the sessions that they show up. And then when that's done, okay, buy another one. Yeah. The downside was if you ever lost that sheet of paper, you were hooped. Oh, for sure. Did you like do a backup? Did you photocopy anything like that? No, that would require planning and being uh, intelligent about that. (laughs) that, that, That never happened. (laughs) <laughs> but it's it's a practice that a lot of like successful trainers and gyms do today. Like yeah. I know uh, Shara at uh, SVBT, she does like the sign-in process, and yeah. like it works. Yeah, can't knock it. I think uh, Andrew Coates does something fairly fairly old-fashioned as well. Yeah, I've got an app now that I can use that does automatic billing, invoicing, um, scheduling. It does all of that kind of stuff for me. So it's a it's a paid monthly feature, but if it saves me. 20 hours in a month of chasing people or trying to email people or miscommunicating as far as what a session time is or not tracking the number of sessions that saves me time yeah totally what i like is uh, google calendar that's kind of how i like can look back and see what i've done yeah and see what sessions are completed then yeah. i use uh, wave it's a pretty handy app and then nice. i can uh, build that way but like like i said it's just there's so much software now mm-hmm. it just makes life easier we're going to jump on the topic of social media. Yeah. What is the worst thing that social media has done to the personal training industry? I think the worst thing it's done is given a lot of false information, easy access to the population. I mean, before social media came out, the only way that you could get bad information out was through print media, digital media, television. Usually those have editors or fact checkers to make sure they're not putting out bad information. Once in a while they'll say, oh, well, we're an entertainment thing, so we're just gonna put this out there and see how it goes. Um, Now, anybody with an Instagram account or a Twitter account or a Facebook account can share whatever they want, essentially without consequence. So it becomes harder for the consumer at the end of the day to pick and choose what's valid information, what's accurate information, what's helpful information. Sometimes stuff is just there because somebody has an emotional connection to it. Like the hardest thing to consider is things like, would a movement like an anti-vax movement taken place 20 years ago based on the fact that social media didn't exist and it was harder for those ideas to get going? There were still things like email forward chains where people would just send bad ideas or grams or whatever all over the place, but it was harder to take root compared to today where an idea can go viral relatively quickly. Exactly. Uh, Some advice that I've been given in my own career is just like find find people with integrity to be your mentors and just follow their material and really like discern between like practical research based and then like the the hype stuff. Yeah. If you were to like turn on your bullshit filter, what would help you differentiate between good quality stuff and bad quality stuff? 
part of it comes down to where is the consensus lie? So if you hear a lot of people say something actually exists and that it's valid and realistic, it probably exists. If you hear a lot of people arguing about things in small details, maybe it's not that important to worry about. So for instance, if somebody was to say strength training helps build muscles and get stronger, and everyone was saying that the research backs it up, everything is good, and there's a few people who say never lift anything over three pounds. Do you believe the two or three people who say never lift anything or the body of evidence to say strength training builds muscles? Well, probably the body of evidence. I mean, there is a lot of evidence showing that crowd thinking and crowdsourcing is effective at discerning information. Now, you have to understand that with social media, they're going to filter the information that you get based on what you like, what you click through to, what you engage with. So there's also a grain of salt as far as like if you're always going down one path, you're going to get more information from that pathway. Yeah. And a lot of uh, political organizations are starting to key in on that and saying, well, let's start feeding more of this information through the filtering process to get more and more and more of this information in front of people. Yeah, it's wild. And like the internet just changes outcomes substantially, especially with that like filter process. So there's been something that I've been thinking about for a while. Do you agree that dogs can create a PR in a lift? Like, do you think having a dog in a gym can help people with PRs or... I mean, it's, it's maybe, like maybe not science-based, but it's just something that... I'd have to see the evidence. I think that a dog goes a long way to helping create an environment where yeah. people might want to go to the gym more or who might feel happier when they're at the gym. And as a result, their energy into the lift might be higher. So, I mean, there is a psychological element to that. Maybe we'll have to do a double-blind study where we put an actual dog in there and then like a stuffed dog. Totally, As yeah. like the placebo control. I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> I just think it's cool. Like more and more trainers, a lot of my trainer friends have a dog. Yeah. Myself, like it's only a matter of time before I get a dog. It's just like yeah. making my life structure suitable for a dog. Yeah. We got three if you want. You can take any of them. Right? <laughs> just like rent a dog for a day. <laughs> dog rental. That'll be the next business idea. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what are the three best qualities of dogs? They're always happy to see you. Yeah. No matter what. If you've had a bad day, if you've treated them less than perfectly, they're always happy to see you. I mean, you always want to treat a dog better than you would hope that they would treat you, but uh, they're always happy to see you. It's always unconditional love, and they love structure and routine, so it helps you to establish a structure and routine. Um, all the, anytime you're laying on the couch and you want to just kind of chill out, they're willing to come over and just kind of get a belly rub and keep you warm and snuggle. So with dogs, it's just the unconditional love element. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you think a dog could make a trainer a better trainer? Structure. Yeah. Just due to the fact that, you know, that dog has to be walked, that dog has to be fed, that dog has to be uh, given medication if need be, water. So it's something where you can't just like avoid the dog for two or three days. I mean, with a cat, they can be fairly self-sufficient as far as like a litter box, a bowl of food, a bowl of water for a little while. But even then, you still have to go back once in a while. But the dog structure is definitely real. You got to be able to take care of that dog. So that adds into the element of okay, you need to do X, Y, Z throughout the day and that has to be more of a, a balanced approach versus just fly by night all over the place. Yeah, and it's it's so important to take a step back as a trainer, just somebody that has a career that's maybe not always consistent because mm-hmm. like there's people that want to be at a gym at a certain point of the year and then another point of the year, they just don't. Yep. And we have to work with that. Having a dog or just something or a person in your life to create that structure is important because like, when we lose sight of our like routine, we don't know. Somebody else has to call us out on it. Mm-hmm. And if it could be a nice, friendly, lovable dog, that's yeah. probably the best. Yeah. 
Um, my next thing is going to be on mental health in the fitness industry. Do you think it's important and how do you think it could be like boosted more, given more importance? I think it's massively important. And part of it is the fact that the fitness industry does draw extreme personalities from both the client end of things and also the trainer end of things. So understanding if mental health is a concern is something that should be available to all trainers. Um, we actually have a product coming out where one of the people who contributed to it is a psychologist who helps people differentiate about what to do with clients that have a lot of negative thinking or the client, the trainer themselves who has a lot of negative thinking, but also how to get into a motivational mindset. So that's just like a component of it, but then understanding things like disordered eating, uh, exercise bulimia, is there depression or anxiety or negative or irrational thinking? What does that look like and how can we address that in a way that's supportive and helping people get the quality of information that they need? Huge. I mean, pretty much every client who comes through the door, you have to judge their mental health in regards to their ability to go through a training program successfully. It's not something where you have to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but it's like, okay, do I need to refer this person out based on what they're telling me and what they're showing me? Totally. I just think it's so important to promote mm-hmm. as a trainer and like talking to you, you have a voice that kind of mm-hmm. boosts my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we, we take for granted that everybody is vulnerable in some state and we want fitness to be something that they can hold on to for a very long time. Yeah. And in order to support that, we need to support mental health in whatever way we can. There's a lot of like continuing education opportunities. I know there's like mental health first aid. I think I heard that, uh, Nate offers a, a program now for mental health first aid Nice, and quite a few other programs are, is there anything that if you could recommend to people listening to pursue, like any courses or books or things that you found were really helpful? There's a lot out there and the best thing is just find the stuff that's targeted to what you're looking for and eating. I mean, a quick Google search would be the easiest way to go about that. But one of the best options is to have a network of professionals that you can refer to directly or that you can contact and say, hey, I have this problem, what do I do? Because I mean, you can learn so much, you can learn easily about what the course says, but if you have a client right in front of you, that's a little bit different. So if you have a, a person that you can contact and say, I have this client who's doing this, 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 and this, what should I do with that? If they say, oh, we'll just change the exercise, or if they say that person needs to be admitted right away, that's where you're going to have to have a little bit of a discussion and then understanding what words and what phrases and what direction that your conversation can go that can be the most helpful. They're the ones that can help you out more than any course that you can take. There's still a huge value in the courses, but have a network of professionals that you can contact directly and say, what do I do? Absolutely. Like staying within our scope and all that stuff and just yeah. being empowered by a community kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like for myself, I'm lucky. I know a lot of people in the city and that network is growing and growing. I just uh, moved into the Evolve umbrella. So nice. just walk in the door and you have a network right away, which yeah. is wonderful. Uh, what have been the three best things about your own experience with Evolve? Um, part of it is just being your own boss, being able to say, you know, I don't like this policy, so I'm going to change it rather than that being like, here's the set policy, do it no matter what. Um, other than that, it's just having freedom to adjust on the fly based on what the clients are looking for. Yeah. If they're unable to make a certain payment, I can delay the payment. If they're you know, stuck as far as saying, well, I can't make this cost work, I can give them a discount. I can offer student rates. I can offer group rates if I wanted to. Um, it's not something I do often, but once in a while, like I work with a lot of cyclists, like track cyclists. So if they're student athletes, they don't have much money to begin with. So I give them a student athlete discount which 
can't happen in a lot of other places. Yeah. Uh, having the ability to do drop-in fees for people without having them purchase a membership, that makes a big difference to a lot of my clients who might only be training with me once every two weeks or three weeks because that saves them hundreds of dollars at the end of the year. Yeah. And it's just, it's a nice approach. It makes it so that fitness can be something that lasts long. Mm-hmm. You see so many people that they, they hit a wall of like cost mm-hmm. or some, some portion of their fitness costs them too much and it caused them to lose out on the portion that was the most yeah. beneficial. True. Um, our next topic, we're going to dive into family a little bit. I want you to pick three family members that can be parents or siblings or aunts and uncles that really made a huge impact in your life and describe three qualities of each of them. Tough one, man. I don't know if I could just pick three because like every person I've come into contact with has influenced me one way or another. Um, probably the number one would be my dad. Uh, he has worked for years. He just retired a couple of years ago, but he was a carpenter, had a bad back injury, came back to work as a custodian to be able to feed his family. And he would work 12, 14 hour days trying to do everything he could to put food on the table for the family. So when I think, oh, well, geez, I have a really hard eight hour day, I would think, no, my dad was working way harder than that, but he never complained about it, never said anything. And then he'd come home at the end of the night dead tired and help me with math homework or help me with whatever I was doing, make sure my car was running. So he was one of those kind of guys who just had the engine and the work capacity to just keep going and keep doing things. Um, other than that, I have two older brothers who showed me what not to do when I was growing up too. They'd get into trouble once in a while and I'd be like, okay, so don't do that. <laughs> and that saved me a lot of time and headaches too. But uh, they also showed me the things that did work because they both had really crazy work ethics and were really gifted at what they did. So follow success. If somebody's really good at something, look at what they do and look at how they do it. Um, aside from that, probably my wife. She keeps me grounded and makes sure that I know when I'm not doing something right and when I'm doing something right. If I'm working too much and she's like, you need to pull back, she'll tell me. Totally. So just having those people in my life make me understand how to work really hard, how to pull back, have balance, take care of myself, but then also what works and what doesn't work. And it's so important to have like these sort of pillars or people that are like non-negotiable. Like mm-hmm. when, when they have that kind of an impact on you and especially when you're in a, an industry that like they don't just schedule your shifts, like you could be super, super busy at some point yep. and really, really dead at some point. But either way, you have to have like a head on your shoulders. You have to be motivated. Like working with people, we have to be at the top of our game all the time. What are the five ways, five things that you implement into your life to keep you at the top of your game? Part of it is understanding it's a service-based industry. So you're there to provide a service. It's a hospitality element to things. Your six o'clock in the evening client doesn't care that you were there at 6 a.m. Exactly. You got to be able to give them the same energy and same enthusiasm as every other client. If you haven't eaten in five hours, eating in front of your client probably isn't the best thing to do because now you're making the service that you can provide for them less. Um, being on time, being ready with a program, being able to have some adaptation to things that things change, that's all part of the service industry. And making sure that you're somebody who people actually want to spend time with and hang out with versus having a personality of a wet napkin <laughs> probably need to be that way too. So it's something totally. that you have to understand first it's a service industry, then it's about what kind of service you're providing and how you provide that service. That's awesome. If you were doing like just any given session, do you have like sort of a formula of what makes a good session with client? Not a specific formula because everyone's a little bit different yeah. in terms of what their goals are, what they're shooting for, but also a personality type. So I guess a successful solution would be give them what they're looking for during that session 
match my personality style to what their personality style is and have them leave at the end of the session saying that was great. So whatever that means in that session is going to be variable. But if I can give them that kind of stuff, it's going to be a good session no matter what. Totally. Um, do you, do you have a way of like closing down a, a session to sort of give a client closure kind of thing? Yeah, I do kind of a recap on what went well, what we can work on going forward, what their homework is between now and the next time I see them, and then a high five. Every session ends with a high five totally. because you got to celebrate the success of them actually taking time out of their day, showing up to the gym, paying for a service that I was hopefully providing in a way that was good enough to meet their needs and what they were requiring and also just what they were looking for out of it and then send them on their way for the next day. Exactly. And I think like a high five is so important. So underrated too. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. some people are like, whatever, man. I'm like, no, no. Like it makes or breaks the session. Like yeah. you cannot miss the high five. Yeah. <laughs> I've got clients who, when they're done a set of like a metabolic finisher, they walk over to me with their hand up, ready for the high five. Yeah. Like, that's the end of the session. I'm like, no, you got to do another one. Oh, that hand goes <laughs> down and then they go back into it and then they come up to me with the high five, like it's done, right? So it's almost like it's psychological closure for them at the end of the session as much as it's just like a thing to do. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about mentors who are five people that in your career you have looked up to. There's a lot. I mean, part of it is other trainers that I've worked with who are really great at what they do. Part of it is medical professionals who are kind enough to let me look over their shoulder and ask thousands of questions. Part of it is managers I've had in the past, uh, people I've worked with currently, um, people who I've never met in person, but who I've emailed back and forth with. So I don't think I could really narrow it down to just five, but uh, there's dozens and hundreds out there. I think that if we we're trying to think about just like one or two people as being the sole cause or detriment of success, we're kind of missing the forest for the trees on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Every person I come into contact with influences me one way or another, either positively or negatively. And that helps drive me forward in the direction based on what that experience is like. So like, I can't really name just five. If you, yeah. if you got an hour, I've got hundreds <laughs> of them, but uh, totally. The biggest names I could think of would be uh, Mary Wood, who's a physiotherapist in the West End, who's sent a lot of people with me for pelvic floor rehab. Uh, before that, Mark Lucius, who's a chiropractor downtown, who I've worked with back and forth. Tristan Zapata, who was the fitness manager who hired me for my first personal training job. Before that, Bob Gurney, who was an exercise physiology professor at university that I took. Um, dozens and hundreds. Uh, there's not really just one or two that I could name. And on top of that, guys like Tony Gentlecore, Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson, Michael Boyle, uh, Ben Bruno, uh, Mark Verstegen. How many do you want to name? No, that's <laughs> good <Stu> though. <laughs> it's important because a lot of people think, oh, you know, because people are going to see you as their mentor. Yeah. And when other people are picking their mentors, they'll just list off three and they'll be done. Yeah. Like they'll pick off some big names Typically, they'll pick off somebody that's like really popular yep. and the answer that you gave is helpful because people need that perspective to look back and see how much they can gain from so many different people yep. and how like essentially our interactions with other people are always a gift. Yep. And if we treat them that way, we'll be set up for more personal growth. Yeah. I mean, the biggest names that I could say I've had help from don't have social media presences and they don't have products for sale. They're people yep. who let me learn from them directly. And you won't find a Facebook page, a Twitter page, an Instagram page. They're just great people who know exactly what they're doing, how to do it, and are willing to give back enough to let weirdos like me look over their shoulder whenever I can. Totally. And like, I, I can relate to that in my own like career. Some of the most pivotal, monumental advice I've been given 
has been absolutely for free mm-hmm. and usually just in, in a chat and like a private private chat on Instagram or messenger or during a podcast or after and it's always like genuine yeah. and that's that's how it's more impactful because like that person is invested in, in my success and they want to see me grow and flourish mm-hmm. and it, it's helped me a ton I think attitude is huge mindset is huge yeah Uh, What is the toughest thing that you've encountered in your career in the fitness industry? Death. How do you deal with a client who dies? Or how do you deal with a client who's terminally ill and is dying? I mean, that's something that no matter what you go through is always going to be hard. That's true. Like, there's no beating around that bush. Yeah. What what would happen if you knew of a a trainer, just somebody that had a client where that happened? Like, what what is the the best advice that you have it would be no different than if somebody in their family passed away yeah I mean as trainers we take on clients and we think of them as friends first family second clients third usually yeah so if somebody passes away either accidentally or because of a disease it's they have to mourn they have to go through the same process of grieving mourning and losing a person that's close to them so whether that's they have to go through the seven stages that are clinically sought after or whatever, but uh, some people are just really quick about it. It's like, okay, well, I knew that person was dying. Okay, they're dead. Now time to move on. I'll remember them, but whatever. Some people, it hits them really hard, and there's no real easy way of going about it or any painless way of discussing it or putting it out there. It's just, okay, well, that sucks. It's part of life. You have to grieve it. You have to mourn it. But at a certain point in time, if you feel like you're not getting through it and you want to get through it, that's when it might be valuable to meet with a counselor or meet with a psychiatrist or say, you know what, I'm having trouble with this. Yeah. What do I do? That's so true. And it's how many podcasts do you listen to where they actually talk about that? Yeah. And if a trainer is wanting to be in the industry for longer than that stereotypical two years, yeah. they're going to come across this. Yeah. People get older. Yeah. Life happens. Uh how how did that affect your your week when that happened like did you have to take time off from other clients like what happened well the biggest example one of my clients had uh, terminal breast cancer and she fought it she actually started training with me after she was diagnosed because she saw an article where i worked with another person who was going through cancer so she came in and started training with me fought it went through chemotherapy radiation therapy it went into remission It came back about three years later and came back harder and worse. So she passed away after about six years of us training together twice a week. So at that point, it was like, you know, I knew it was coming. It was still hard. It still wasn't comfortable, but more and as best they can. But I can't really take away from the benefit of my other clients. So I have to give them the best energy possible as much as I could without showing that that was something hard going through. Yeah. So after that, we went to the service. She also had a, a big potluck remembrance a couple of months later. We went to that. I stood up, made a speech, talked about how she impacted our lives. And uh, after that, it was just like, remember, make sure you can move on. Totally. Uh, when you're setting up for a session and you've just had a rough time, like how, how do you set yourself up to be at your best? Do you communicate what's happened with your client? Do you just keep that on the down low? Part of it is just being quick to adjust and being quick to change how you go through things. So if something's a hard session, it's like, okay, next one's up. Okay. Get back to a grounded state, get back to a balanced state and say, okay, this next client needs your energy. Let's get ready to give it. At the end of the day on a drive home or a bike home, you can have time to reflect. You can do all that kind of stuff. That client needs your energy as much as you can do. The old saying, the show must go on, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. I think one of the things I found helpful because like, uh, like when when L two closed down, I had a client kind of right after we got the news, and I was like, I was ready to cry. Yeah. Because it was my my first training gig, and I thought that it was going to be a go for a long time, mm-hmm. and then I went out to uh, train my client, and I just took a big deep breath. Yeah. <sighs> and like, just I was like, yeah, the show must go on. Yeah. And I think about things like this, like what happens when something happens to somebody in my family or my extended family being my clients, because mm-hmm. I agree. I had, I had a client uh, interview just like trying to see if they, they want to be one of my clients. And they're like, so like, how does this work? And I was, well, basically, we're going to end up being friends. <laughs> like, I'm going to be a big fan of you. Yeah. And I'm going to work hard for you to be a big fan of me. And it's going to be a holistic approach to fitness. Yeah. So, and especially with so many trainers in the industry being like empaths, like most of the trainers that I talk to care deeply about the people around them and mm-hmm. take on that baggage. Yeah. And it's just, it's a conversation that has to be had because life, life happens. Mm-hmm. There, there is so much that can be thrown our way, like cancer to, to name a few. Yeah. I mean, the mental health thing like it's more and more real and i honestly think like social media stuff is like kind of messing with it a little bit to a point i also think it's opening the door to make it acceptable to talk about exactly i mean 10 years ago you never talked about it at all like it just wasn't something that was brought up now it's something where people are openly saying i have a mental health issue here's what i do about it maybe this can help you and other people are saying yeah that's me i have this too and and they're actually becoming more open about it so it's kind of a double-edged sword where people are being aware of it, but they're also being accepted for it, which I don't think was happening 10 years ago or even 15 years ago. I completely agree. Like I, for my episode 25, I did a mental health special with uh, Blake Lotz and Michelle Bagnell, mm-hmm. and they're both known throughout the city for their advocacy for mental health. Yep. And we each talked about our own experiences with it, which was tough because we're talking about real stuff that puts us in a very vulnerable space. Yep. But if it wasn't for social media, we wouldn't have had that platform. True. I just see so much of like the, I guess people talk about putting your best self out there Mm -hmm. and then people just think that that's just what life is. And then when they don't have it personally, then it can really mess with them. Yeah. But when a person's like super real and genuine, then that's when it becomes a healthy thing that lifts people up. Yeah. Uh, my next topic is going to be sports. Do you like to watch sports? Honestly, I hate watching sports. I'd rather play sports. Like I'd rather be on the field than watching color commentary about what's going on in the field. That makes sense. I watched about 12 minutes of football this year. Yeah. And it was only in the Super Bowl. And I shut it off because the score was like 3 nothing. I was like, this is boring. Yeah. Yeah. What's your go-to sport to play? I used to play a lot of basketball. And uh, football, uh, volleyball, track and field. Again, I was never good at them, but I played them. So if I was to go into something, it would probably be like rec league basketball. I think I'm one of six Canadian guys who doesn't know how to skate. So hockey's just not going to (laughs) happen. Has it ever affected your ability to train athletes? Not really. Because everyone's human. Yeah. And movement is movement. Strength and conditioning is strength and conditioning. I may not have the aptitude of the specific sport, but I have the aptitude in the gym. So they're not coming to me to make them a better skater. They're coming to me to make them stronger, make them hinge better, make them have better endurance for those kind of things. I can build all of that. That's yeah. not a problem. That's like, 
that's sort of a miscommunication that happens so often. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see somebody that never played hockey training a hockey player. Yeah. And, well, how can this be? But if that person is highly effective at making people stronger yeah. and have better body awareness, their hockey game is going to get better. Yeah. Um, Same thing as when somebody who's a hockey player takes yoga or Pilates. Yeah. When are you going to be doing yoga on the ice? You're not. You're going to use that to get better at what you do on the ice. It's not that you're going to be doing downward dog while you're trying to score a goal because that's going to be a really rough position to be in. But sounds like a Yakupov thing to do. You might be. You never know. know. I mean, Nala did a lot of weird things. Actually, funny thing is that when he was first signed to the team, he was living at the hotel that was attached to the gym that I used to work at. Yeah. So he would come in there every morning at like 6 o'clock to work out. Yeah. So he was a cool guy to talk with, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that was at uh, City Center Mall. Yeah. Because I worked at the sport check there, right across the hall from uh, World Health, nice. for like probably eight months or so. Yeah. So I think I had seen you around, but I had no clue who you were then. Yeah. I, but I, it's... I wasn't anything then. I'm still not anything. <laughs> I'm some dude living in the frozen tundra. <laughs> so you got a good, humble attitude. It's well, important. I mean, when I look at things, it's like, okay, well, how big am I? Not really. I work in a gym. I'm not curing cancer. I'm not selling out stadiums. So... Why should I be egotistical or vain or anything like that? It's like, yeah, I'm just a guy who counts squats. Well, I mean, <laughs> we we talked about how like how people see you and how important you are to people is well, for podcast terms, it translates to a popular podcast kind of thing. Yeah. And I have no doubt this one will be re- well received and like for me it's not about numbers, it's about kind of impact and like sharing a positive message that means a lot to me Mm -hmm. but while you might be very like soft-spoken about yourself and your career you're very well received obviously Mm -hmm. like you don't see me strolling around getting presentations all over the world like (laughs) uh i would have to say if if i could take advice from one fitness professional in edmonton it would obviously be yourself because because of that integrity that you hold to be so important and because of all the hard work, the grit that you put in, because we, we see so many instances where a person just wants to be successful quick, yeah. maybe not like overnight, but just like transposing past experience into like current wins. But like you've had to put in like some tough times. Like what's, what's the toughest career, something not based on personal life, but work life that you've had to overcome to, to see your career succeed. Um, well, I appreciate all the kind words first, but uh, part of it was just saying, you know, do I want to take this risk or do I want to try this? If I was starting something like a blog or a new product or saying I want to charge people to come hear me talk about fitness, putting yourself out there and saying what if it fails is always a realistic thing. Imposter syndrome is huge no matter who you're talking to. But at the same time, you have to consider, well, somebody else was able to do it before you, so therefore it's possible. So let's try it and see what happens. Yeah. And it's one of those things that Dan John, who's a, a really famous strength coach, he had a great presentation that I went to a couple of years ago where he said, how to become an overnight success. Be a high school gym teacher for 35 years. I like And then that. you're an overnight success. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like You got to put in work. You got to put in time. You got to put in willingness to adapt and flux. And, and then eventually the body of your work stands for itself. But you have to put in that body of work first. People, people want the cake quickly yep. they, they they're not willing to wait for it to bake yep <laughs> gotta bake that cake 100 <laughs> percent. 
what's the biggest win that you've had in a session? Maybe maybe list five because I'm sure you have like a thousand. But something that like stuck with you and mm-hmm. made your heart grow like five sizes. Yeah. Well, I've worked with some clients that have had like cerebral palsy where walking wasn't a thing that they could do when they came in and then they start walking. Um, other clients who come back after things like hip replacements or spine surgery where they're able to say, hey, I put my socks on yesterday. That's a huge victory. I mean, Absolutely. we don't think about stuff like that in terms of fitness. We think about, oh, crush a max deadlift, hit a max squat, bench a PR. But the stuff that we take for granted every day is huge. Uh, a client who was able to say that she could go up and down a flight of stairs without feeling winded after a heart transplant. That's a big change, right? Yeah. So others were like female clients being able to crush their first chin up at the age of 40. Being able to say that I'm stronger now than I've ever been in my life. So there's so many really cool things that people can do. But it's a lot of the small things that we take for granted that until it's taken away from you, you don't realize how important it is. Yeah. My, my own experience, I have a client that she was waiting on an MRI to find out if she had MS or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's looking like she might have had a stroke at some point. Yeah. And like she's been through so much in her life. And we were, we were doing a sled push because a sled push is just something that I can have anybody do. It's like safe for the yep. body. And she was like, I will not let this stop me. And she said that and I was like, oh. Yeah, because it resonated with me. I was like, "We're just waiting to see if she has MS or not." Yeah, we're just waiting to see like what her future holds. And mm-hmm. this kind of attitude and the fact that like she she takes pride in her abilities mm-hmm. when other people don't even recognize that they have abilities that they get to wake up that they have all this ability. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah, it's like one of the most rewarding things about jumping into this industry. Yeah, because. I think I think you guys were talking about it in one of your episodes on the fitness devil and I think Andrew might have mentioned it. It was just like if you're going into the training industry, you're not chasing money. No. This is a passion job. No. If like, you're in Edmonton, you're probably in the oil industry, depending on how the price of oil is going at that point in time, but or finance or real estate or something like that. But training is kinda the low end of income when it comes to the money chasing realm. You want to yeah. help people as much as you can. Yeah, like Maybe you get a free t-shirt and that's like the perks of doing the job, but it's his passion. Or a Christmas gift, right? Totally, totally. Um, It's just neat to see how the passionate trainers in the city thrive because like kind of part of it is karma. Part of it is just honestly, like if, if you're willing to put all that heart into a job, clients see that. I've had clients Google my name and then they see just nothing but fitness posts. Yep. And they could Google a lot of names and sometimes you won't see nothing but fitness posts. And if, if they have the option, they're probably going to choose something invested And like, obviously for yourself, they'll Google your name and find like a thousand pages of education and yeah. blogs and material. And they're going to be like, hell yeah, or this guy has a spot. They might also find farm real estate available in the UK. <laughs> Somerset County in the UK is a big farm area and there's a township called Taunton-on-Dean. So if they're looking for Dean Somerset, they'll probably find some uh, great agricultural real estate sales going on too. That's perfect. <laughs> people people have various avenues for what yeah. they want to look for. I mean, they can get their squad up and also buy a tractor in the UK. <laughs> That's awesome. Who is the most famous, uh, yeah, famous, famous client that you've worked with, if, if you're able to disclose that? It's Edmonton, so there's not really a lot of very famous people here. Yeah, but this is an Edmonton famous podcast, so yeah. people here are going to get pumped. Well, Farah's pretty famous. Yeah, Farah. Yeah, she's the best. Yeah, she's awesome. 
Um, Absolute beast mode everywhere. Oh, totally. <laughs> like, you can't turn back the intensity because she's a high performer. Like, exactly. It's ingrained. I think she was saying uh, the hamstring drill with the tap, the yep. heel taps, crushes her. So yep. probably have her do more of those. All the time. Yeah. And uh, dead bugs. Because it's hilarious when I get her to do those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, aside from that, I don't know if you remember a long time ago, there was, uh, I think it was like a Lifetime movie about the Walter Gretzky story. Uh, I had trained the guy who played Wayne Gretzky in that for like three sessions. Oh, nice. Yeah, because he was in town filming and he needed somebody who knew about lower back injuries and he was like attached to the gym. So I was like, yeah, do you guys have a trainer who could do this? Yeah, we got <laughs> one right here. So I trained the, the Wayne Gretzky actor for a couple of sessions. That counts. Yep. Uh, it was funny. Brett Kissel actually recently did like this post. He's, I'm looking for somebody in like the Sherwood Park area to train me. And then in an hour... Yeah. Like thousands oh, yeah. of trainers get tagged in this thing. And yeah. I don't know who he ended up training with. Like, I'm sure they did a really good job or perhaps yeah. he didn't follow through with it. Cause I know it was, he was waiting for it in his hiatus before like his newest baby was born, mm -hmm. but I'm sure he found somebody. Yeah. It's just funny how, how small town oriented we are mm -hmm. that like somebody that's he, like he only lives locally part time now. I think he's like in Nashville for most of the Probably, time. Yeah. But just one little, just need somebody, and then thousands of trainers tag. Like, the yeah. funny thing is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Clark, yeah. who is also a trainer. Yeah. Um, so he got tagged, and just the irony of it is like, yeah, no kidding. Anthem singer and anthem singer just train together. Just have it. Yeah. It's relatable. Yeah. But just neat. Mm -hmm. My next question is going to be, and this has an obvious answer, but I want you to come up with your reasoning for it. Mm -hmm. Dogs or cats and why? Dogs because I'm allergic to cats. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we needed to know. So yeah. now for some quick questions. This is going to be food based. Mm -hmm. Pizza or lasagna? Cookies. <laughs> perfect segue to the next one the next yeah. one is gonna be like cookies or ice cream both nice ice cream with cookies <laughs> how's your nutrition like what yeah. the hell well i mean you eat good for most of the day but then you have to have a little splurge once in a while right absolutely but you can get cookie dough ice cream so you get the best of both worlds why choose i completely agree yeah talking more seriously if you have a really busy day what are the meals that you'll plan for yourself I usually don't. I'm terrible at that. So I'll have something to eat before and then I might bring a protein bar with me or you know, get a Uber Eats delivered or something like that. But uh, most of the time my meal prep is sadly underwhelming. I actually don't meal prep at all, which is terrible. But do you get good food? No, my wife cooks dinner every night and the days that I'm home I cook dinner. and um, Yeah, but I, I don't miss meals, but I still don't plan meals. So that's terrible. I mean, it's not one a one-size-fits-all thing. Well, also, it's just one more thing on my day to plan and organize and take time out that I just don't spend time doing. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, it, like, you're only human. You're not, yeah. like, Superman. Yeah. So it's, it's good that you're honest about that. Sometimes I, I ask people, and they're, oh, well. Yeah. On, Here's how on perfect Monday, and dialed I in I plan am. all these things, yeah. and I never have cookies or ice cream. Yeah. I spend 19 hours a week in the kitchen and I'm perfect on that kind of stuff. And yes. yeah, great. Check out my recipes on my vlog. Yeah. <laughs> there is that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just important because 
if it's just like the mental health thing, mm-hmm. showing that people that are guests on podcasts, people that are like voices for their industry are human. Yeah. So it makes it a lot easier to be a new person getting into the gym because it takes away that intimidation factor because like, oh, well, if this person who trains trainers to be trainers is human, mm-hmm. the most of the trainers will be human. Therefore, I can go to the gym because I am a human kind of thing. Hopefully, that's a connection they make. I, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they won't make that connection. Hopefully, they make a connection that they are human. Therefore, yeah. they can go to the gym. Exactly. Yeah. What are five tips that you'd give to somebody that's going into the gym for the very first time? What's something that you would do to kind of make it so it's not as scary? Uh, remember, it's a big playground. So play with everything that you can. Figure out what you like, what you don't like. Everyone who's in there had a day one, too. So no matter who you are, how uh, in shape, out of shape you are, everyone in that gym had a day one just like you. So don't feel afraid to be on your day one so that you can look at other people the same way in a little bit of time. Be willing to fail. Be willing to change yourself. Be willing to say, I like doing this. I'm going to do more of this. I don't like doing this. I don't want to do any more of that. Challenge yourself. Say, I can do three of these today. Can I do four tomorrow? Yeah. Be willing to say, you know, I, I don't have to be perfect, but I want to be able to see that I'm making progress. Ask for help whenever you need to. Don't feel like you're obliged to have a trainer, but ask for help when you need to or when you're like, hey, I want to learn more about doing this or I want to see what this is all about. Yeah. And like so many trainers are happy to give advice. That's kind of what our job is. Exactly. Well, like yeah. free advice though. Yeah. Like, there, I don't know any trainers in my circle that if you ask them, they would charge you money for answering how to do a certain thing. Like especially because so much of it, we get so much practice yep. that we're pretty good at like tossing out a few cues that are bound to work. Yeah. And it's just, it makes more people enjoy something that we're so passionate about going back to that empath and passion and yep. all that stuff. Like, But also you get paid back over time. Like I've had people where I've given them free advice and they've referred me three or four clients. Yeah. They haven't bought sessions, but they've referred people to me. Totally. And I, I agree with that too. Like my, my career is new and green, but even in just like the support I've offered people, there if I put out a post that's like hey I'm doing like this special promotion three sessions for 150 then people who haven't trained with me yet mm-hmm. are promoting it and yep. telling people that they know it's valuable yep um, we're going to go into the question that I ask all of my guests and then near the end like after about 20 episodes I usually put it all together put some nice background music usually some cold plate sounds really cool there you go but here's the question <laughs> <laughs> If you were to give one piece of advice on how to authentically live your life to the fullest, what would that piece of advice be? Probably don't make decisions based on what other people would think. Make decisions based on what you would think and follow actions based on what you want. Because no one else is going to live your life for you. That's up to you. All they can do is just judge from the sidelines. I love it. That was good. Yeah, man. (laughs) It's going to sound great with Coldplay. There you go. Thanks. Thanks for giving me your time today. No and, problem. And uh, hopefully see you around at one of your summits. Yeah. I mean, if you want to come to Singapore, we'd definitely love to have you out there. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>